And welcome to RNZ's Insight Programme. I'm Philippa Tolley. This week, Pacific Immigration. Citizens from five Pacific nations rely on the luck of the draw in a ballot as to whether they'll get a chance to live in New Zealand. But if they do get a chance under the quota system, is there enough support to make sure their transition from the islands is successful? Insight looks more closely into the quota system and asks what sort of future is unfolding for those who make it over here. Pacific people have a unique opportunity to come to New Zealand and gain residency under the quota system. Every year, tens of thousands register for the Samoan and Pacific quota ballot or lottery on offer that is randomly drawn. But there are questions over the ease of access, with quota places often not filled to capacity and applicants struggling to meet and keep up with all the criteria. Well, I'm working under the table, but I don't want to get caught because I don't want to lose my family. Like, I want to work in a proper job. Is the Pacific quota policy still achieving all it aimed to, or are immigrants often being left to flounder? Talo Falava, I'm Saravui Teltu, and this insight looks to find out how well the quota system is working after being in existence for decades, starting with the Samoan quota more than 50 years ago. Pacific people are among the hundreds of international arrivals at Auckland Airport. Some of them gain residency on the quota system aimed at recognising the special relationship between Aotearoa and the Pacific. Drawn by random ballot, the scheme allows up to 75 citizens of Kiribati, 75 of Tuvalu, 250 from Tonga and 250 from Fiji to become residents. It costs applicants under the Pacific Access category about $76 to apply and $30 to reapply. For Samoans, it's free. Their quota number is the highest at 1,100. In the past 15 years, roughly half a million Pacific Islanders have bid for one of the annual places on offer, now standing at a total of 1,750. The scheme is administered by Immigration New Zealand, which is part of the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment. Its Pacific Regional Area Manager, Rex Hesterman, is working in Fiji, and he says there's always a huge interest. Uh, it varies, I have to say. There'd be probably a, a number of contributing factors to the variations year on year. In the last couple of years, there's been a, um, an increase in four of the five participating countries. Fiji um, had a big hiss in a roar when it um, first opened again in 2015, but over the last couple of years, it started to pull back a bit. Samoa's had the most significant uh, increase, and that was this April compared to the previous year. There was around 49% increase. A record 36,000 people from Samoa entered the quota draw this year. The Labour MP for Mangere, Alpito William Sio, says even after being selected, there are a number of hurdles to get over. One, the, the numbers coming through, I think for the last five or seven years, the quotas have not been met. Um, I mean, when this government came in, the first thing they did away with in immigration was the disestablishing of the Pacific Unit. And the Pacific Unit under Labour government had a spe specific responsibility to m ensuring that the quotas were filled. 
And so with the disestablishment of that unit, I've seen that the quotas have not been met. And a number of issues, uh, one big issue really is when your name gets drawn out of the lottery, there are criteria that you've got to meet, health, and one of the key ones is job job offers. Now, that's problematic when the applicant is living, you know, in the islands and the jobs that they've got to apply for are out here in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Some employers go down to the Pacific, but they are very few. And so what happens is the applicants are reliant on friends and relatives living in Aotearoa, New Zealand. And that opens it up for a range of um, practices that would not be appropriate. At a glance, quota requirements appear straightforward. Applicants must be a citizen of the eligible country and have been born there or overseas to a country citizen and aged between 18 and 45 years old. And applicants must have had their number drawn randomly by the computer and have been formally invited to apply and undergo various tests such as health and English. One of just two Samoan-based New Zealand certified immigration advisers, Roberta Tietia, says the process of applying can be tough because of new English requirements. People overlook it as the English language. Okay, So that's another requirement. You have to have an understanding of English, both oral and in written, because they need to pass the English test at Immigration New Zealand. Because uh, uh, one of the employers I, one of my people went to, he said his English wasn't good. But uh, I don't know whether it's due to shyness. Um, I'm not sure because they tend to be very shy. But by far the biggest challenge is securing a genuine permanent job offer that meets salary requirements. For one successful Tongan applicant who came under the 2014 quota, that job requirement has been highly problematic. He says he had to fly to New Zealand on a temporary visa to look for a job after the salary for his first job offer on the quota application was rejected because it wasn't high enough. The man, who Insight has agreed to call Malcolm, is now living in a different city to his wife and children. He lost the original job his brother had helped him find when the company closed down, so he had to move to a larger city to find work. Malcolm says he's had no help from immigration since he got here. I thought they gonna Well, I thought they were going to give us help, but no, they don't. And all the money we spent on the application, I think that we pay more in the end than just applying under the normal visa, doing all the medical certificates, and I paid my own way to fly over here to New Zealand to look for a job offer when they rejected my first job offer. When they did that, I just flew out from Tonga to come here as I had 30 days to find another job offer. Mm. Hardest thing about the quota? Getting the job. To support himself and his family, he now does extra work under the table. He's sharing his story in the hope he might help others, but wishes to remain anonymous for the sake of his family and his current residency status. His words have been revoiced to protect his identity. Well, for me, I thought that it would give us a better life than the life there in Tonga, because most people come here for a life better than that in Tonga. I work for my family. Uh, When I was little, my dad said I needed to go to school to have a better life. So now I have come here to try to do the same for my children and that they can have a better life here and do better than me. But now I know that the life in New Zealand is really hard. 
Unlike in Tonga, you can sleep there for one week and be okay. But here you sleep for a week and you end up on the road. Back home, you can go ask your neighbour for food. But here in New Zealand, there's, there's not much for free. He said life here has been a lot harder than he first thought and he has been heavily reliant on family and friends for support. He now stays in a small room with a relative who has a lot of children. We used to stay with other guys who worked with me, so we stayed with them for eight months while we searched for a place to stay. But we still haven't sorted out things to this day, like that first day when we moved to our own house and a friend came over and said she felt really sorry for us. We were just sitting on the floor on one mattress, and so that friend went to get some chairs from warehouse for us. I won't forget that. The immigration relationship between New Zealand and its Pacific neighbours has not always been plain sailing, and this has been the case particularly with Samoa. Back in the mid-1970s, the then Muldoon-led government commissioned TV cartoon ads which showed individuals who looked like Pacific people and categorised these immigrants as a threat. There was a time when New Zealand cities were quiet and clean. People said they were nice places to bring up children. But the cities grew alarmingly. People poured in, not just from the country, but from other countries as well. 62,000 in just two years. Then one day, there weren't enough jobs either. The people became angry, and violence broke out. Especially among those who had come from other places expecting great things. It was also a time of the dawn raids, when police were storming the homes of alleged overstayers at night or in the early hours of the morning. Tactics that were heavily criticised. My name is Yati, and... um here in Dunedin, working in the Department of Politics at the University of Otago, um, but um, born and raised in Samoa, Falatai and Falealili Potasi. Dr. Yati Yati specialises in New Zealand foreign policy in the Pacific. Over a decade ago, some Samoans headed to Parliament to protest having their automatic citizenship rights stripped away. I hope people appreciate some of the dynamics that have occurred over the past several decades uh, with respect to the quota. Most Samoans may or may not know this, but there was a very controversial case, uh, Lesar versus police, that went all the way to the Privy Council. And the Privy Council found that Samoans born between 1924 and 1948 basically had New Zealand citizenship status. And then under the Muldoon government, a, the Citizenship Act 1982 was brought into force to disenfranchise what was about 100,000, I think is the estimate, about 100,000 Samoans from that citizenship status. And uh, this, of course, came to the fore in about 2004 when there were all these protests. Um, and what that resulted in was the New Zealand government saying that they would relook at the quota and perhaps some of the conditions and criteria put on the quota uh, to see whether there might be changes that were more favourable to the Samoans. But there haven't really been changes. Not by the looks of it, no. <laughs> but uh, at the same time, I guess New Zealand could argue that it's made, it's assisted in other areas, for example, the um, seasonal worker scheme, etc. But that would probably be their comeback. To qualify under the Samoa quota, there are similar parameters to the Pacific quota. But Dr Yati says the one key difference is that the higher number of places recognises the special relationship between New Zealand and Samoa 
as expressed in the Treaty of Friendship. Well, it all goes back to when New Zealand took over Samoa from the Germans on behalf of Great Britain at the beginning of World War I. And so initially Samoa was a prize of war, but then it became a mandate um, under the United Nations for New Zealand, sorry, League of Nations and the UN under that. So um, there's a historical relationship between the two countries that led to the development of the Treaty of Friendship. Um, And when I say the historical relationship, it's not your normal historical relationship, uh, as many Samoans will know. There were a lot of injustices, we might say, that were perpetuated by the New Zealand administration during the colonial period. For example, the gunning down of Samoan traditional leaders during a peaceful protest. The New Zealand administration allowing for the widespread, for the spread of the influenza epidemic um, during the early part of its administration. So uh, there have been some, I guess, let's say not so good periods between the two that led to a sort of a warming of relations, uh, particularly towards independence, and from then on to the Treaty of Friendship. Earlier this year, the then Minister of Immigration, Michael Woodhouse, also agreed that New Zealand's relationship with the Pacific is important. What we do have is very long-standing agreements with Pacific nations. We have a specific quota to enable both Samoan Uh, residents and other members of the Pacific to come and gain residence. So I think we have very generous visa arrangements that are quite unique and uh, not the same for any other country in the world. But do the quotas in their current form really reflect that? Here at the Mangere Market on a typical Saturday morning, the place is packed, full of stalls, and there are about 100 Pacific people milling around, doing their market shopping or selling their wares. It is a good chance to find out what some of them think about the Pacific quota on offer by Immigration New Zealand. It is hard. I definitely know that because um, my husband's an immigrant, um, so he he just got his uh, resident about three months ago, um, and it was such a hard process. Why? Um, just of having to provide all the evidence, which is really understandable because you know um, they're trying to you know get people that's legit that is going to stay and actually work. My friends, my families has been putting through, but like 250, I think it's a bit small number for Fiji, because Fiji population is quite big, and uh, at present uh, there's heaps of people wanting to come here. I value immigrants so much because I have friends myself who refuse to get any job. A lot of my immigrant friends, especially from the islands, they got no problem. Apple picking, onions, strawberries, um, McDonald's, uh, deloading containers, and for them, it's that work ethic. BMP for Mangere, Aupito William Sio, has encountered many Pacific people living in New Zealand after gaining a place under the quota but he believes some are so desperate to fill the criteria they are being exploited. You've got people buying work permits, uh, work offers, job offers, which are either um, bogus job offers or, or not. 
He says once people arrive, it can then be a shock for a Pacific person on a minimum wage to realise that the cost of living in Aotearoa is sky high. Because I think living in the islands, uh, low-wage economies generally, and when they see that the minimum wage is fifteen forty-five an hour compared to perhaps two talar an hour, that sounds big. But once they get here and they have to factor in the cost of rent, the cost of electricity, the cost of transportation to and fro to the job, that minimum wage can barely uh, manage to support a family, particularly if you've got a family of three or five children. Here to see Morganan. Oh, okay. Just a minute. Morganan Morganan moved here from the Fiji sugar town of Ba 18 years ago. Today he is the manager of the Papatoetoe Community Budgeting Service. He has 80 clients on his books and says half of those are on the quota. New Zealand is one of the countries I believe that people do want to come just because they think that New Zealand is a very good country to live in. I do understand New Zealand is a very good country to live in, but then looking at the situations, it's really, you know, it's really a pain thing uh, in our mind and in our heart that uh, our people are suffering. Unfortunately, he says many are unprepared and ill-equipped for life here, and it's stressful. Sometimes we can't find anything to help them. Only just food parcels and clothing, second-hand clothing and all those stuff because we work with Many, many, many organizations who are donor organizations, just like Suchi Foundation, Christian Food Bank, Salvation Army, and also City Mission Food Bank. So it's really pain to see that people come in looking for all these things. An immigration lawyer, Richard Small, deals with many clients from the Pacific applying for residency and is also worried about quota clients. He says it's hard to appeal any quota decisions because it's time-consuming and paper-based files in the Pacific means it's difficult to find records. Mr Small says there's a numbers-based approach to the quota, with an attitude that Pacific people should be grateful to have the quota system. And they're just treating the people as, not as individuals, but as numbers. So the individual doesn't count if they can get an easier fill for that space. It's just to... Tell the Tongan government, at the end of the day, they filled 250 places. And then domestic violence, because I also took a class on that last semester. Auckland University Associate and Professor of Development Studies, Yvonne Terukirangi Otangaroa Underhill Sim, has done significant for research in development, gender and labour mobility in the region. She says there's a political reason for the set quota numbers that are unlikely to change any time soon, given the seasonal worker scheme for Pacific. What does that tell us then about what the New Zealand government understands their responsibility to the Pacific in terms of work? It tells us that they want our labour, but they don't want us as fully formed citizens. And I think that is reality of the current policy discussion that we're in right now. We do need to make sure that the quotas are not just there for the sake of it. Professor Underhill Sim says she believes there is a need to take a closer look at Pacific regional labour overall. 
I think one of the barriers to finding a job is finding a job in the right place, you know, because, you know, I think one of the ideas of these quotas is that they also distribute people right throughout the country. And so, ideally, a lot of people would go to some of the regions where there are flourishing economies, but where you don't have that support of people that are already here. And so over the, you know, globally, what often happens with these is that initially somebody will go to a region or will go to a place where um, everybody says it's where you'll get a job, but over time they'll move back to places where there's consolidated communities of, of different ethnic and, you know, of communities. A Samoan quota applicant, Will called John, applied for the Samoan quota when he was living in Pangopango in nearby American Samoa and was so excited when his number was drawn from the ballot. He agrees the job application from the islands was by far the hardest requirement to fulfil, and he also flew to New Zealand using his own money to try to find work. John, whose words are being voiced by someone else, was often told that he was overqualified or that he didn't have the right visa to apply to work here yet. When he tried to go to the immigration office for advice, both in Auckland City and at the now-closed Manukau office, he was kept being told that any quota inquiries need to go to the immigration office in Afia, which was frustrating as he was in New Zealand at that time. I know I'm not alone too in finding the job offer difficult to get in New Zealand. When living in the islands, my friend, a girl, she got her number drawn for the quota in 2015, and she is a qualified scientist. And despite her degrees and experience, she had to pick onions in New Zealand. People just looked at her and said, it's like, honey, you've got to start at the bottom. In Auckland, I also ran into someone else I know, and she used to work with me back at the bank in Samoa, but is now working at the petrol station here under the quota. And she was just made to pick up trash every day at the petrol station. She worked there for one to two years, but now works for the council. But that is what it took for her. John is an environmental scientist by profession. He has good English, tertiary qualified and is fit and healthy. In the end, he blames delays at the New Zealand Immigration Office in Apia, which only told him at the very last minute that a job offer was in place with just a few days to lodge the paperwork. John claims a lot of his prior emails and phone calls went unanswered for weeks and in the end, when the eight-month deadline was looming, his partner was sick in hospital and he just couldn't focus on anything else. He feels hard done by and wanted to share his story too in an effort to bring about change or help someone else. I called her and said it was unfair and very upsetting. You know, I've even worked for the American Samoa government, and so I had to sit down with the lady at the New Zealand Highcom office in Apia, and they had profiled me and the petrol station job had first come up and appealed to me as I was desperate to come to settle and live in New Zealand. But what got me was that, yes, employers come to Samoa to recruit, but there's already a list of names made for the employer to interview applicants on. I wanted to get on that list, you know, but was told about, sorry, your name has to be put on the list before you can even get an interview. Then I found out that the names on that list are the relatives, friends of the staff, who put their own people on those lists for employers to see. So for someone like me, I didn't even have a chance. I wanted to do any job, just get a job. Hard labour, petrol station, whatever. It didn't matter, I was that desperate. Tauranga-based Alessana Tsalopau has just opened up a new business to help Samoans who are struggling to find work in New Zealand that meets the $35,000 salary requirement. 
He also wants to run workshops, so Samoans know exactly what to expect when they come here and agrees life is tough with the high cost of living. Alessana Talopau hopes to encourage people to consider Tauranga instead of big cities like Auckland as a place to work and settle in. Yeah, there's all sorts of jobs that are available down here. Tauranga is a place that's growing. There is a lot of work in the construction industry, in the pack houses for kiwi fruits because we're well known. He says that he wants to make sure people from the islands have the support they need. For us who are looking at this thing here, it's a group of um, Samoan, uh, the sons of Samoa who live in Tauranga and we've come together, identify the need and this is what our offering is for everyone. So um, if the fee is going to be something that's going to get in the way, just remember that you've got to give something in order to get something and what's uh, awaiting for people on the other side is you know, the salaries that we'll be looking at and uh, we'll be looking after that part as well because a lot of our people come here and sometimes get are uh, taken advantage of by the employers here and that's something that we will be looking out uh, for their welfare and stuff. Immigration New Zealand's regional area manager Rex Hesterman outlines the next change in the system a shift to do more online. Currently we're working on uh, pre-registration information distribution. So what we're, we're trying to do there is provide as much information up front about what living in New Zealand is actually like and, and what the differences are in terms of our systems and our cultures, I guess. It's trying to uh, not, not preclude people from applying, it's just providing them with information so that they know. I mean, there's a bit of a mystique about, or, or a, I don't know what the word is, but people think that New Zealand basically is the land of milk and honey, and of course it's not like that. I mean, the costs of living in New Zealand are completely different than those back home in the Pacific. But Advisor Morganen Morganen says there needs to be more help to make sure they make that transition from Pacific life to that in New Zealand successfully. When the government is getting anybody in New Zealand, they have to ensure that they follow them up. Don't just leave them to stray here and there. Follow them up for six months and see if that person has got a good job, a decent job earning enough for the money, uh, money for the family, there is enough to eat, enough education given to the children, stationery, everything, and this is what I think that the government should do. It's not only the people, they come here, they don't know what's going to happen to them, but this is what is the unforeseen circumstances. The government or their agencies should look after them well and advise them as and when what to do. Any changes will be too late for applicants like John, who could have registered again for the quota, but decided to move elsewhere. Me and my family have moved on from our Samoa quota experience and no longer wish to move to New Zealand. We are now moving to Hawaii instead, us and the kids. If telling my story might bring about change, then I'm happy to share it. As for Malcolm, he will work at whatever job he can find to support himself and his family, because after spending so much money to get here, returning to Tonga is not an option. He admits he is stressed, overworked and exhausted, and with teary eyes, says he dreams of one day not having to work and live apart from his wife and kids. So maybe one day we'll... As long as from that day we landed here in New Zealand up until now, I just haven't had enough rest. Maybe one day we'll sort it, we'll get sorted and then I can sleep. Malole Soifua, I'm Sarah Vuitelatu, and that's Insight for this week. 
If you'd like to get in touch or share your thoughts on this program, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at insight at radionz.co.nz or our Twitter handle is at insightrnz. Maumea. That program was produced by me, Philippa Tolley, with technical production by Dan Bevan. You can share and podcast this and other insights from radionz.co.nz forward slash insight or head to iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe, rate or even give us a review. Thanks for listening. <laughs>